Take your copy of the scriptures, would you please, and turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. We began last week with the premise that there's more to declaring the gospel than preaching. There's more to declaring the gospel than preaching the gospel. And put another way, the preaching or public declaration of the gospel isn't the only way that it's preached. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. The gospel is also preached when people see it doing its work in our lives, in the lives of God's children, in the lives of those who proclaim to be followers of Christ. The gospel is preached when they actually see the gospel doing something in our lives, changing us, making us more Christ-like. I want to look together and go back to the verses we began with last week in verses 5 and 6 in Colossians chapter 4 and look at them with me as, as I read, follow along in your copy of God's Word. Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Father in heaven, we bow our heads in prayer, praying that you would teach us through the ministry of your word this morning. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to be challenged with our walk and our speech, that they would be Christ-honoring, God-honoring walk, walk in this life, that we would honor you the way that we live. Teach us to honor you in the way that we speak. And may they be as, as a gracious speech to people who need the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The gospel must be preached. I need to tell you that the gospel must be preached. And what I'm going to suggest here this morning, I suggested last week, is not a replacement for the preaching of the gospel. The declaration, the public declaration of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ must be done. God's children have been commanded to preach the gospel. Go look at Acts, not right now, but go look at Acts chapter 10, verse 42. You'll see that we're commanded to go and preach the gospel. And, and He promises, God promises to do a work of opening the hearts and minds of the hearers. You'll see a passage in Luke chapter 24, verse 45, that talks about the hearts and minds of hearers being open when the gospel is preached. That's our duty. Our duty is to preach the word. God's job is to open hearts and minds as we're faithful to our calling. But there are other ways of spreading the gospel in addition to preaching. There are other ways of spreading the gospel that ought to happen and occur in our lives in addition to the public proclamation of the word of God. And in the midst of those other ways, God also opens the mind of the hearer to understand the Scriptures. You need to know that as you live your life, whether or not you live it for Jesus Christ, if you are living to honor God, when you go out into this community and you influence people for the Lord Jesus Christ, God will be faithful to His part to open the hearts and minds of people that you live next to and rub elbows with in a workplace or a business place to help them see the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ lived out in your life. He'll do that work of opening their hearts and minds to see the truths if you will be faithful to do your part and live the truths. 
we began to address this last week, that Paul notes in our passage that there's also the preaching of the gospel that takes place in our conduct and our speech. Put another way, there's the kind of preaching that believers do with their walk and the kind of preaching that believers do with their talk, right? And you'd better get them in that order. And I think that Paul's placement of them in that order is important because we had better walk right, otherwise our talk is worthless. We had better walk for Christ because when we talk for Christ, we want our walk to back up our talk. That sounds confusing, doesn't it? I'm surprised I even got that out. We need to get our walk first, get our walk in order, and then the talk backs up the walk, right? First, Paul addressed the believer's walk and how it ought to witness in verse 5. We looked at this last time. I just want to refresh your memory because this is an important foundation for where we go in the next part of our study here this morning. Paul addressed the walk and how it's to witness. Your walk ought to witness. Verse 5 again. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Now, Paul states that believers are to be attentive. Pay attention to how you walk. Don't be careless in how you walk or live. That's the idea when I talk about walking. And we see this, this idea repeated in the Scripture again and again. It talks about your walk. It talks about your life, the way you live your life. So Paul states that believers are to be, be attentive, pay attention to their living, their walking. That is, how they live in relation to unbelievers. Now, believers are to live in wisdom toward unbelievers. Now, we noted this last time. How are we to live a witness for God's glory? How is it that we're to live a witness? How is it that we're to walk a walk that's a witness to unbelievers in this world in which we live. And we noted this, that believers are to have a wise walk among unbelievers. We need a wise walk. And to have a wise walk among unbelievers, the believer needs godly wisdom. You know, there's, there's a place for common sense, right? There's a place for what we call common sense. And the world thinks it has wisdom. But God's wisdom is true wisdom. And that's the kind of wisdom we're talking about here. We, have better, we had better have godly wisdom that shapes our conduct. Because God's wisdom is the best kind of wisdom to shape our living, to shape the way that we conduct ourselves among unbelievers. You see, if we hope to have an impact in this world, we must have godly wisdom. We must saturate our hearts and minds and soul and lives with godly wisdom if we are going to hope and to have any impact for Jesus Christ in this community. And I challenged you with four things that need to be present in the believer's life who wants godly wisdom to shape his or her living. And I trust that's your desire. That you want godly wisdom to shape your living. I hope it is. I pray that it is. And these are most effective. These four things that I talked about last week, I want to remind you of them this morning. These four things are most effective for giving us godly wisdom when we take advantage of all of them and not just pick out the ones we, we want, you know, the ones we like. We need all these four things. And there's a progression to these. One kind of leads to the other. One prepares us for the next. Let me remind you, first we gain God's wisdom for a wise walk when we revere God's Word. It is critical. It is foundational to the Christian faith that we be a people who revere God's Word. And when we revere God's Word, it means that we fear We respect and we honor and we obey God's Word. 
We're reminded in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now, if you and I are to have the wisdom of God at work in our living, in the way that we live among unbelievers, then we must revere God's Word. We must honor and respect and obey God's Word. And we must not take it lightly. God's Word is the standard for everything that we do. Now, I have to challenge you on this because I find that in my life, and I'm and I'm pretty sure that probably in your life too, that you enter your day and, and sometimes you get through your day and you realize that you're just trying to live on common sense. You're trying to maybe even use worldly wisdom to live. And you're not thinking about godly wisdom. And, you, and maybe you're not convicted that God's Word is sufficient for your life today. And, and I think that that's kind of borne out, proved out in the way that we live sometimes. We might say, well, this is God's Word and I revere God's Word and I love and fear and honor and respect and I want to obey God's Word. But that's not how we live sometimes, is it? And we struggle with this. We get into situations where we go completely bonkers and forget about what God's Word says, right? We, we just forget about what His Word says. Maybe we don't have the hope and the faith that we need and the strength that we need to go back and say, but wait, but God's Word says... And so this is the way I'm going to live, in faith, believing that God's Word is sufficient for my life today. We must revere God's Word. We must not take it lightly. God's Word is the standard for everything we do. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God's Word is your standard for living. Second, we gain God's wisdom for a wise walk when we ask for God's wisdom. When we ask in prayer, says James 1.5, God gives liberally. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. God is a very generous giver. God is a very gracious giver. And he gives to his children his wisdom when they commit to obeying it and when they ask for it. That's important. You want God's wisdom, you'd be better... It would be better for you if you'd be willing to obey it before you ask for it. Are you willing to obey God's Word? Are you willing to obey God's commands? Are you willing to obey His wisdom? Because without the willing humility to obey God's Word, He doesn't give, it, he doesn't give you His wisdom. He withholds. He says, if those who are, who are going to ask for my wisdom are just going to reject it, why give it to them? God's Word again and again reminds us that we need to humble ourselves before the Lord. Humble ourselves and come to Him with humility and say, Father in heaven, give me Your wisdom. I want to obey it. And God is generous to give. 1 John 3.22 And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. He gives to us what we ask. Because we honor Him, we glorify Him, we seek to please Him, we obey Him. And we keep His commandments. And when we keep His commandments, there's something about our praying and our asking that's in line with God's will for us too. So you might say, well, I want a Corvette. So, if I keep God's commandments and please Him, and I pray for a Corvette, that bingo, in my driveway, there ought to be a Corvette in the morning, right? Well, it wouldn't be a good car to have around here this time of year, but, you know, no. Is that... Is that what God's revealed for you in His Word? His wisdom in, your, in His Word gives you wisdom for living. And when you line your life up with God's Word, it's going to change the, 
the things you want very often. And so I think that's kind of a weak argument to say, well, I'll just pray for whatever I want as long as I'm keeping God's commands, right? Because as 1 John 3.22 says, whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments. And we do what pleases Him. God is very generous to give us His wisdom when we ask. But we must ask with a willing humility to follow His commands. Ask for God's wisdom with that attitude of submission to obey what He gives you. And that points to the third source of wisdom. We gain God's wisdom for a wise walk when we yield to God's wisdom. James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 reminds us that God gives grace to those who will humble themselves and submit to God. He gives more grace, it says. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Notice that before the devil will flee from you, you must submit yourself to God. You must humble yourself before the Lord and ask for his wisdom for living. God gives you his wisdom and strength and grace to resist the devil and the temptations that he brings if you humble yourself and yield before God's word. That's revering God's word. Thus, the fourth way we gain God's wisdom for a wise walk is when we study the Word and receive instruction. And we learned this back in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, that the believer must be diligent to see that God's Word takes up a permanent residence in our lives. You need to think about how God's Word is, is residing in you. Is it just a, a temporary resident? You know, so you just come in, does, your, does God's Word just kind of come and go in your life occasionally when you feel like inviting it in and letting it stay for a few moments and then kicking it back out to live your day. God's Word needs to take up permanent residence, says Colossians 3.16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. God's wisdom in you will benefit not only you, but it will also benefit others. And you best study the Word and receive the Word in two ways. First of all, by reading and studying God's Word diligently. I hope you read and study the Word. That's done best when you take in the Word daily. It's, not, it's one thing to read a passage every once in a while, every, every, uh, you know, every few days or every few weeks. And that might benefit you. But what you really need is to regularly take in and digest God's truths and to feed on God's truths. And that's best done when you do it daily. And I just say, get a Bible reading plan. If you need a Bible reading plan, there's some Bible reading plans on the literature table. You want to make your own, you want to devise your own plan, whatever. But get a plan or make a plan and start reading your way through God's Word. You must regularly read and study and take in God's Word. And I say that that is a critical beginning for you if you're going to obey and have God's wisdom leading you in your obedience. And then by regularly receiving instruction, the second way that you, you take in God's Word, you study it and then you receive it. What do I mean by receiving God's Word? You regularly receive instruction. That is, that you must faithfully put yourself under the teaching of the Word. As you've gathered here today to hear the teaching of the Word, you didn't come to hear me. My words are not going to help you. Okay? My human thinking is not... I, I, I hope to not give you human thoughts and human weakness, but I hope to, in, to, to transfer you biblical truth, godly truth, God's wisdom. And so what I hope you take from here is not all the words you'll hear coming out of this head, but the words from the head, Jesus Christ. 
and the words from God's word that we look at today, that you'll take them from this place and take them and allow them to work in your heart and your mind in the week ahead. So that's what I mean by receiving instruction. Put yourself under the teaching of the word. See, believers gain God's wisdom by systematically reading God's word, not just hop, skip, and jumping around God's word. That's why I love to take a a book of the Bible, as we've been doing for several years now, and take a, a book of the Bible and study through it verse by verse. Because there's this danger of, if I take a verse here, because I want to talk about this topic this week, and we could do this in our Bible study, and I take a verse here because I want to study this today, and I take a verse over there because I want to study this thing, that we miss something very important that God wants us to learn. And when we study a book of the Bible like, we, like we've been doing, and we're almost done with Colossians now, and verse by verse, it's amazing the kinds of things that we come to that we may never have talked about if we hadn't gone verse by verse through a book of the Bible. So I encourage you to systematically read God's Word. All right, Whether that's reading from front to back, that's one way to do it. If you've never read the Bible, I wouldn't suggest necessarily reading from front to back. Genesis to... You know, Revelation. I would suggest getting a plan to read the New Testament or some of the New Testament and some of the Old Testament, but read a book of the Bible. Read a book of the Bible and, and saturate your heart and soul and mind in what God is saying in that book of the Bible. And allow Him to teach you. And by receiving instruction from the Word, by putting yourself under the preaching of God's Word, is the other way that you receive instruction and receive God's wisdom and knowledge. So there's a progression here. If you're going to have God's wisdom to walk among and live among unbelievers, and that's the first area Paul addresses. That's why I came back and we spent some time this morning going back what we back over what we talked about last week, because this foundation had better be here. That's the first area Paul addresses our living, our walk. If you if you want to have that, you've got to revere God's word, ask for his wisdom, yield to God's wisdom, and study and receive God's wisdom. And then you'll have God's wisdom to live in this life, with, with all of its challenges. And this is the necessary foundation of God's wisdom because we cannot properly influence unbelievers for Christ if we aren't first being shaped by God's wisdom ourselves. You can't influence your neighbors for Christ if God's Word isn't shaping you. You can't influence your coworker, your, your son or your daughter, your grandchildren, your, your relatives that you love and you want to see them trust Christ. You're not going to be able to effectively influence them for Christ if God's Word isn't effectively influencing you. Because they need to see it. Many times they need to see it working in you before they'll hear it. Now I want you to note too that Paul also says in verse 5 that believers are to make the best use of the time. Look at verse 5 again. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Now, God's word, God's wisdom should should shape our lives in the image of Christ. When we study and examine God's word and soak our our lives in God's word, we begin to take on a Christ-like image in the way that we live. And that should be, that's the way it should work. It should change us day by day as we take in and obey God's Word and as we put sin to death, as we talked about in chapter 3 in Colossians. As we kill sin, it's a daily thing. that We've got to constantly kill sin and put to death the old man in us that wants to take over the new man. We need to make our lives a living witness. God's wisdom should also shape how we use our time. Shapes the way that we live and that includes the way that we use our time. 
and helps us make the, the most of every opportunity. Moses prays in Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. We need, to, we need to be careful about how we use our time and be thoughtful about how we use our time. You know that days and weeks and months and years go by so quickly? I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. The, the older we get, the, the more that seems true, doesn't it? Days and weeks and months and years just fly by. And I want you to think about that in perspective. Every day, more people pass from this life into eternity without Christ. Every day, more people die and pass from this life into eternity without Christ. And Paul speaks of the urgency with which we should use our time in Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. Would you look at that with me for a moment? Keep your finger here in Colossians and go back to Romans chapter 13. Because how we use our time is also a way in which we live in a way that honors Christ. Paul's speaking here of the urgency with which we should use our time here. Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. Romans 13, 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. The armor of light, that's God's wisdom. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. You walk in the daytime with God's wisdom, the armor of light. Not in orgies, in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, put on godly wisdom. And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You see, it's so easy for us to allow day after day after day to pass by without the with, with only, and we only kind of fill those days with the pursuit of fulfilling our own selfish desires. When in the end, what's most important is the lives of unbelievers that could be influenced for Christ if we would make the best use of our time. And so this is a timely reminder for us to make the best use of every moment we have, every opportunity we have. To live in a way that honors and glorifies God that points others to Jesus Christ. The time is now for believers to be certain that their walk preaches the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in verse 5, Paul addresses the believer's walk. In verse 6, he addresses our talk. Look at verse 6 again. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. In verse 5, Paul emphasizes that believers must walk in wisdom. Live in God's wisdom toward unbelievers. In verse 6, Paul challenged believers that they are to have a savory speech among unbelievers. A savory speech. So what does that mean? What does that mean? A savory speech. What does the savory speech of a believer do? Well, the savory speech of, of believers makes Christ appetizing. Think about what salt does, right? 
the salt flavors. Most of all, we use salt for flavoring, right? Also helps to keep, helps you from breaking your neck on your sidewalk sometimes. But but salt savers, right? And we we use salt because it flavors things. I want you to think about how how our speech ought to flavor Christ. How our speech ought to make Christ appetizing to unbelievers. Jesus Christ is the spring of living water and the bread of life. And a believer's speech should make that clear. A believer's speech should make an unbeliever thirsty and hungry for Christ. We know from Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? We know that out of the abundance of the heart, what's inside is going to come out. Sometimes it takes some poking, right? And when we get poked, what's inside comes out, right? And so it's important to have a life, a walk, a heart, a mind that is Christ's, that is filled with and led by God's wisdom, so that when we speak, there is Christ-like speech, there is savory speech, that flavors Christ, that makes Christ seem appealing to unbelievers, that helps them see the truth of Christ and their need for Him and gives them a thirst and hunger for Christ. We need to walk in a way that is right. We need to be filled with and led by God's wisdom, which is what we just noted. There needs to to be for, for right conduct. We need to be filled with God's wisdom if we're going to live in a way that's proper. We also need to be filled with God's wisdom and led by and yielded to God's wisdom if we're going to speak in a way that's right. Not only does the heart need the right content from Christ for the right conduct, but the heart needs the right content from Christ for there to be the right outflow of speech, for there to be a savory speech. And Paul defines for us what a savory speech is. Let's think about what he says here. Savory speech, he says, is gracious speech. Right? Verse 6, let your speech always be Gracious. Now, what is gracious speech? Well, I think Paul says it best in another place where he says it this way in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. And he kind of defines what savory speech isn't. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Right? Unsavory speech is corrupting talk, but don't let that come out of your mouths. Here's savory speech. But only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, Paul is talking about more than, and this is the easy one for most of us, this is the easy one for us, he's talking about more than just obscene talk and using cuss words. And we find that pretty easy. We go, well, I'm not going to talk obscenely because I tell people I'm a believer. I don't want to, I don't want to talk in a way that's obscene. I'm not going to use cuss words. All right? He he goes beyond that. I think it includes this. But I think he's talking about way more than just obscene talk and not using cuss words. He's also talking about any words that tear other people down. He's talking about any words that tear down instead of building up. He's talking about ridding our lives of any types of communication that make make little of others. You know how easy it is for us to allow those kinds of words to creep into our Communication where we make little of others or when we defame others or slander others or speak unjustly of others or gossip about others. It includes that. I think uh, Chuck Swindoll says it pretty well. He calls the kind of speech that tears down verbal pollution. 
Think about it. He's right. Verbal pollution, he says, it's the kind of speech passed around by grumblers, complainers, and criticizers. The poison of pessimism, Swindoll writes, creates an atmosphere of wholesale negativism where nothing but the bad side of everything is emphasized. That ought not be true of a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, I wonder, just kind of as a little experiment, I... Um, you would never want me to be let loose in a lab where you could do experiments, but let me try to do an experiment with you. Yeah, how about if in the week ahead, for the next seven days, I wonder what it would be like during the next week if we took to heart God's word here in Colossians 4, 6 and committed for the next seven days not to let any verbal pollution out of our mouths, refusing to, to speak any critical words for a whole week. No critical words for a whole seven days. Wonder if you might be a quiet week, right? Might might just be a quiet week. That might be a good thing, though. You know, words mean things. Believers are called to be careful with their words, and from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right. So get the right things in, and the right things should come out. Fill your heart and mind and soul and life with God's wisdom and ask for it and yield to it and start living it. And then when your mouth starts moving, things should be coming out as blessings instead of cursings, right? They should build up instead of tear down. I'm not saying that we don't challenge people in areas where they need to be challenged lovingly, but I'm talking about building people up instead of using our mouths as a weapon of destruction. You see, words mean things, and words can either tear down or build up. That's why Paul says in verse 6 that our speech is to be seasoned with salt. We are to have savory speech. Put another way, the believer's speech is to have an effect, a positive effect. You see, that's why we need to be saturated with God's Word. The believer's words are to always build up. So Paul says, let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You see, speech seasoned with salt has an effect on others, a positive effect. But there can also be a negative effect. There can be the negative effect that that obscene talk brings. There can be the negative effect that critical talk brings. There can be the negative effect of of undue talk of others and, and tearing them down can bring. But we learned back in Colossians chapter 3, verse 8, that we're to put away and be done with the things that tear people down. Such things as anger and wrath and malice and slander. And those things are usually expressed through the mouth, aren't they? But there can also be the positive effects of gracious words, gracious speech, savory speech. Seasoned with salt. Spoken at the right time. The right words at the right time. And those are also a gift from God. And those also, I would, I would challenge you that you need to ask God to help you to speak the words that are glorifying to Him at all times. Oh, how we need to, to, to put ourselves underneath this challenge. You see, there can be the positive effects of gracious words seasoned with salt, the words that are Christ-honoring, spoken at the right time, and that is the way we're to speak so that unbelievers hunger and thirst for Christ. Salty speech, savory speech, makes people hunger and thirst for Jesus Christ. 
So we must be filled with God's wisdom. God's wisdom is the very beginning of our walk and our talk. We must be filled with God's wisdom. Walking in God's Word, living out God's wisdom as we saw in verse 5. And we need to pray for opportunities as we learn in verses 3 and 4 to speak the gracious gospel of Jesus Christ to unbelievers. How desperately they need to hear it. You see, Jesus Christ came and lived a sinless life. And then He was crucified on a cross. Guilt-free. He had absolutely no guilt. He was not a sinner. He did not deserve to die for our sins. But He came and He gave Himself for us to take His just wrath on us, God's just punishment that, that we deserve, and He took that punishment on His body and was crucified for us. And that is the message that our life needs to live toward unbelievers. Unbelievers need to know that God has, has given them this bridge to eternal life, so to speak, Jesus Christ. Unbelievers need to know that God sent His Son to take their punishment. And though they deserve punishment, as do you and I, for those who believe in Jesus Christ and confess with their mouths that they believe in Jesus Christ and repent of their sin and ask Jesus Christ to save them from their sins, He takes that punishment, that thing that they deserve, and He places it on His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, you may not have an opportunity to say words like I just said in the last two or three minutes about Jesus Christ and why He came and died on a cross for you and me. You may not have an opportunity to say those words to your coworker, But your life and the way that you speak can give you opportunities to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with unbelievers. And your life and your speech can say those words in so many ways. Our speech for Christ, though, will be of little account if our conduct does not match our speech. And we most effectively witness for Christ and display the power of Christ to save sinners when they see the wisdom of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ doing an unbelievable work in our lives. Because people can look at you and me and say, that's not natural, you know, that they would respond in a way like that. That's not the way I would expect them. They know our personalities, right? They know how we tick. And, and unbelievers, when we respond in a way that's Christ-like, will notice there is something different, and they're going to want to know what it is. And your life, and your, your living, your walk, and, and your speech ought to cause people to hunger and thirst for Christ. We most effectively witness for Christ and display the power of Christ to unbelievers when they see that wisdom of Christ at work in us and in our walk and we make the most of every opportunity we redeem the time sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in our talk. That's our, that's our challenge. That's our charge. That's the course that God has laid out for us as His followers to make sure that our walk and our talk are in line with His Word. And they cause others to look to Christ for salvation. Let's pray this morning. Precious Heavenly Father, as we've gathered here in Your midst this morning, 
We've worshipped. We've lifted our voices, reminding ourselves of Your goodness and Your faithfulness throughout the generations and Your faithfulness for all eternity. And we're so thankful that when we cry out to You in prayer, You hear our prayers. So Lord, I pray this morning that You would help us to come before You with an attitude of humility. Father, help us to know and love and submit ourselves to Your Word so that we'll walk in wisdom toward unbelievers. Lord, I pray that You would help us to to, to make our lives speak for You. Lord, we pray that You would work in our hearts, work in our minds, and, and work in our lives, making our speech always gracious, always seasoned with salt, and always open to us. Lord, we trust that You will open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ. And then help us to make it clear, knowing how we ought to answer each person. Father, I pray, give us wisdom to understand the urgency of sharing the gracious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with unbelievers, making the best use of the time for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.